0: want to tell you about one of our great partners here at the Five Reason Sports Network and that is Space Wolf that's Space W O L FF. It is where you can advertise on our podcast if you want to, or if you own a business or want to create an advertising space of your own, you can do it with SpaceWolf as well. Visit SpaceWolf.com and you can place ads in all kinds of areas: in bathroom stalls, at a bar, in magazines, social media accounts, in in elevators, front yards, whatever you want. Also in podcasts and that's why we work with space wolf here on the five reasons network all of the podcasts in our network you can advertise with them via the space wolf website again go to spacewolf.com and click on the podcast section all of our podcasts are there and you can advertise with us here in the five reasons sports network so again check out spacewolf.com or at add on social media check out spacewolf.com Just a quick note before we get to the podcast, there was some technical difficulties that we had with Ethan's connection. So if you notice the drop from his usual crystal clear audio fidelity to him jumping on the phone on the podcast, just know that was the reason why. And now let's talk some canes with Mike Cunha of CBS4. Welcome to another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. If you want to check out all the podcasts in our network or ours, they're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Some of them are even on Spotify, including ours and 3 yards per carry. Today, though, we do have a Hurricanes podcast in our network, Five Rings Canes. They've done some incredible work uh, in terms of interviewing current Miami Hurricanes coaches, including Ephraim Banda and Manny Diaz. you want to check out the Five Rings podcast on the University of Miami, but we're talking some University of Miami today as well, and to do so, we're joined by Mike Cugno, sports anchor and reporter for CBS 4 down here in Miami. Mike, appreciate the time.
1: Oh, thank you guys for having me on. I'm actually in Coral Gables on the campus right now as we're doing this so it's live
0: different. live on the scene we <laughs> like it we, we like it so I uh, want to get to today our, our broader idea is what is the next step for the University of Miami because I felt like they made a massive one this past year in getting all the way to the Orange Bowl in getting to the ACC Championship game just winning the damn division for the first time was a major achievement for the University of Miami this year but what's next for them and I feel like that next benchmark is really where the program standards are. When they were at their peak, when they were winning championships, the next step that the University of Miami has to take is where the program standard is. So I feel like there's a lot of things that have to happen. So we're going to dig into it in our typical five parts. So I want to start here is making that jump. Because they just made a jump from a team that was frankly a middling ACC program to a team that I think now you can expect is going to win at least their half of the conference on a regular basis compete with Virginia Tech on a real level and also beat your rival they beat Florida State they beat Notre Dame last year as well and so to get to the point where you're not just in the college football playoff conversation but you stay there and don't have any slip-ups and don't get dominated in ACC championship games and don't lose major bowl games Mike what would you say on the broadest possible level is the thing this program has to do
1: basically be like you said be in a national conversation but be a team because if you can hold down the ACC Coastal and you're in the ACC title game every year then that means you're in contention for one of those top four spots and that's the next step you know we saw with Mark Rick he finally gets Miami to to win a bowl game, something that hadn't been done since what, Larry Coker? You know, so that's probably the next step is just being in that contention every year, making, making sure you win the Coastal and being in the conversation nationally because that's something Miami hasn't had. And it's really broken down to, from your head coach, facilities, recruiting, all of it. When Rick came in here, he kind of turned that around. You come to this campus right now, you see an indoor practice facility, you know, right next to Green Tree. That's something no one could have ever imagined. It looks like a college football powerhouse program and it's starting to feel that way. There's still a lot of work to be done, but you are getting the assistants higher paid. You are getting a coach from the SEC, which you, you know, you never see. You never see a good coach from the SEC leave and go somewhere else, right? So that's something, uh, you know, Miami was able to do sort of uniquely and it's worked and they're building on it. And Rick is kind of setting the benchmark for this program going forward. Who knows how many more years he's got left, but he is, he is setting a launching point for Miami.
2: The thing about it for me is that this stuff feeds on itself, right? Like once a program starts to get a little momentum, And some of the things you're talking about, Mike, that, you know, then you get, you know, the facilities come, the money starts to come in back to the program again, because people want to be associated with it. Once that money comes, then more kids want to come because the facilities are better. The program has bigger national standing. So I I feel like this has been kind of like turning around the Titanic to a certain degree Mm -hmm. um, with what they've dealt with, with sanctions, you know, again, not really producing as many big time players as they used to. I mean, they went through about a 12 year drought where they didn't have a a defensive lineman draft in in the first round which is for UM is unbelievable to me and and they were not getting obviously consistently great quarterback play and a lot of other positions so I think now again that even with the three straight losses at the end of the year there's a feeling that the program is on the right track and in college sports like all you really need is that feeling because once that's the case you're able to Mm -hmm. recruit to that and I think he's been able to recruit to that lately and so It didn't really discourage me that much that they lost those games at the end of the year. We know that the ACC, and we're going to talk about this more, but with the exception of Clemson and I guess Virginia Tech to a degree, but does not have that many traditional powers at this stage where it's that hard to pass them, particularly with sort of the state that FSU has been in particularly at the end of Jimbo's tenure. And we'll see if they can turn that around, but I just feel like they have so much positive momentum right now that I do think that that can feed upon itself. The one question I would have for you, Mike, on this is though, the argument against Miami ever becoming what Miami was uh, you know, when we Mm -hmm. talked about the Jimmy, you know, Howard into Jimmy and then Dennis and Butch and, and, and then, you know, what Butch left for Larry basically where where he built on that. It's just a different time now, you know, it before, you know, there were only so many teams that were on television. Now everybody's on television somewhere, right? Like you can go to any school in the country and get found by the pros um, and get found by the national public. And so I felt like that made it more difficult for UM, kind of the proliferation of media around the sport. I felt for a long time like UM was the cool place to go, right? Like in terms of being in a somewhat urban area, but also, you know, a private school, which makes it a little bit more challenging to bring players in. But I wonder now, Mike, do you think that the way that college football and the media with college football has changed makes it harder for UM to get back to... Sort of the, their dominant period.
1: Okay, well, a couple things here on that. Yeah, the media has changed. So when, this was a killer for mine. Whenever they threw that that blimp up in the air over Hard Rock Stadium, and you saw like no one in the in the bowl of the stadium, right? And then you come to Coral Gables, and you see that their facilities aren't what you're seeing on Twitter. Every time Texas A and M, Alabama, Oregon got something new with their facilities, it was all over social media and that's where all these kids were looking at and like yeah you know Miami was cool one but now I can go to Oregon wear 30 different uniforms in a year be a Nike kid you know so a lot of that was playing against Miami Miami was living off a reputation for so long and it started to fizzle I mean you you, right now you look at really the big name stars from Miami in the NFL are starting to retire right like Andre Johnson Frank Gore is and his last year so a lot of times Miami was was trying to live off this reputation from old-time players now they actually needed to catch up with how college football is run and that's what i was talking about with mark rick getting in here and being like look you guys aren't going to succeed if you don't pay your system if you build it they will come well they're building their practice facility and these paradise camps and kids come out of here talking about miami like they hadn't in the past 10 12 years Because it was a school that was basically living in the past. And now they can actually show something that, hey, we're actually working towards something for the future.
0: Yeah, and that for me is the the, the sustainable element of it is fascinating. And it really only happens if Mark Richt is the coach. Because when they fired out Golden, like let's say – they, they fire out golden and like maybe Butch Davis could have convinced the program to do it, or maybe Dan Mullen could right. have convinced the program to do it, but Mark Rick comes with a certain amount of oh we like we 're bringing him in it 's on his terms because he could have taken right. a year off from coaching, he could have you know taken a lot of really good jobs if he waited a year, so the fact that it was on his terms and the fact that basically. University of Miami is in a position where they have to continually impress him. It's why indoor facility gets built. It's why all these things have happened. But from an on-field perspective, I, I do want to kind of circle back on this point. So Ethan asked the question, how does it get to that point where you're at the dominant level? You're basically saying, how can the University of Miami take Alabama's place as kings of college football? Because what Alabama right. has done over the last you know, 10 years is what the University of Miami was expected to do. And what they did in winning four championships in eight years, Alabama has been to the last three mm-hmm. championship games. And so what you're basically asking is, how does Miami get to the point of being Alabama? And it's, it's an institutional advantage. It's no matter what, you're getting the very top guys year after year after year. You have to unseat Alabama from that perch. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of recruiting. And frankly, it's going to take years, right? Like, if people are expecting the University of Miami to win championships this year or have that level of talent relatively soon... It's built on a sustained recruiting advantage, and I feel like that's the one thing that maybe Canes fans might get a little impatient with. It's going to be really hard to replicate the success of Alabama and Clemson because at this point they have an institutional mm-hmm. advantage that UM is catching up with.
1: Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban—they both started at the same time at their college, Alabama, Clemson, 2007. Those recruiting classes, by the way, for Clemson, Alabama, were 17 and 18 that year you know nationally ranked ESPN whatever you start to look at how they start to build momentum momentum the schools committed made commitments to them not really a stretch for Alabama to make a commitment to Nick Saban because he was proven but it, we credit Clemson for making that commitment to Davo Sweeney now you look at the last from 2012 to 2018 Alabama's got five of, of like seven top recruiting classes in the nation Clemson is basically in the top 10 every year. I think during that span, they were like number 12. So yeah, it's the same success. You got to make it happen on the field. And when you do that, you start to bring in those those blue chip type players where Alabama doesn't really start freshman unless that freshman comes in and it's head and shoulders above everyone, right? Like you always hear the stories yeah. about Alabama guys, some five-star Alabama defensive lineman who gets to start his senior year because everyone ahead of him was just, that good right so that's where that's the biggest discrepancy right now look like at Miami okay they started a guy like Trajan Bandy last year at corner they were kind of counting on him to come in and be healthy for the season right you don't really have that in other schools like Thompson Alabama they've kind of got guys already there unless that, like I said unless that freshman comes in and just blows the door off everybody then they're going to start but having to count on freshmen that's where you get into trouble Look at what happened um, with the recent news. Michael Irvin, the tight end today, going down for four months. His season's basically done. But what Miami did do, they got the two best tight ends, and Revin Jordan and Will Mallory in the, in the last year's recruiting class. You're going to have to count on them. But hey, you know what? At least you got the, the top two guys really in the country there. But you really shouldn't be having to count on guys like that. Michael Irvin should have been making leaps. It wasn't exactly you know, a sure thing that he was going to be your starter. And that's
0: a problem right and and that and those are sort of the gaps in recruiting that you know, that UM has had over the years, but yeah, like that is sort of the quintessential example is Michael Irvin the second gets hurt. And you have someone that's ready to go and replace him because that's that's the attrition of football and the hope. And the reason why Alabama can sort of carry on is because it doesn't matter for them who gets hurt. They have a body. They have a player that's ready to replace them and it's not going to cripple them. Hell, they made a quarterback change in the championship game. And it's actually right. uh, it's actually there that, that, that I wanted to sort of transition to our second part here. And the quarterback position is something at the University of Miami where, yeah, understanding that these you know huge sustained you know programs like Clemson and Alabama, they tend to sort of carry on no matter who the quarterback is. And Clemson didn't really mm-hmm. have that big of a drop off when they uh, when they lost Deshaun Watson. Now, you you certainly noticed it, it once it got into the latter stages of the season that. Kelly Bryant to Deshaun Watson was a big drop-off, but the, the quarterback position can sometimes made to be made less meaningful when you have a, a, a roster as talented as Alabama, but still, at the moment, it's hugely important for Miami and in terms of making a next step, not a big step, but a next step mm-hmm. to go from you know winning your division, getting to the conference championship game, and doing well in the bowl game, quarterback play can make the difference. Are you confident heading into this season, Mike, that Malik Rogier can make any kind of a step forward and be more accurate, can do more in terms of in-the-pocket work than we saw last year?
1: I am confident. I mean, everything we heard about Malik around the program during that season was how he commanded the offense, how he made the right you know, decision, whether it was run-pass run pass action stuff. He was making the right decisions. His biggest issue was hitting the open receiver sometimes. He would have a guy down the middle of the field or up the sidelines, you look at that pit game, you know Miami could have had a couple of touchdowns in that game that were just gimmies. Had he made the throw, you know he's making, he's going to the right guy. Sometimes he's just not making the throw, so that obviously has been his biggest issue. If he's worked on his accuracy all year or all off season, then why wouldn't you be confident in him? I mean, all he did was lead to the ten straight wins and a berth in the Orange Bowl. I mean, you were what were they? They got to number two at one point in the year, and this is a guy no one really had faith in before so obviously the kids got content that's not that's not a problem and obviously that's a problem for a lot of kids in college you know we've seen five stars come in uh, to other schools and be complete bust because they can't handle the pressure Malik certainly has that with them and the other thing behind behind him you look at there's two talented kids behind him Nicosi Perry and and Jaron Williams now those guys there is a lot of work to do Nicosi Perry has all those physical tools and what I hear there is that He'll make the right throw in practice, and he come back. You ask him, okay, why'd you go there? And and the issue of breaking it down has been his biggest problem. But that wasn't the that's not the problem for Malik Bowyer, which is why he's the starter. He sees the field very well. He knows when to hand the ball off or to keep it and tuck it and run himself, or to keep it and pass with those RPOs like I was talking about. So you have confidence in him because he knows the offense and he can run it well. All you really need for him to do now is make sure he can hit more of those
2: I mean, to me, the big thing um, about him is is that when you look at what he did last year, they did have the boom plays with him. And so I think a lot of fans that are down on him because, you know, he had particularly at the end of the season was really erratic, are sort of forgetting, you know, how many big plays that he helped create. And so I do think with an extra year in the system, you know, I know he's obviously getting competition with Perry and others. But I do think with one more year in the system that if you just cut out some of sort of those garbage plays, you know, just cut them in half, basically, uh, you know, they'll have competence at the position. And I think the big thing with UM is that you know, everybody looks back to sort of the great, great quarterbacks they've had, the Testaverde's, the Dorsey's, the Toretta's, the Kelly's, the Kosar's, cetera, the Walsh's, et cetera. But the reality is I think they can recruit enough really elite talent now with what they're doing and sort of building up the base again in South Florida that I don't know if they need elite quarterback play to be an elite team. And I look at Alabama the past few years, you know, I mean, I know there's a situation there now and obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts and and where it goes forward. But say
0: say the other quarterback's name, say the other quarterback's name, Ethan. I'm not, I'm not doing it. Not doing it. Not, not,
1: not, no, please, please no, do it. I was, I was sitting here going, please do it because I'm not going to be able to do
2: it. <laughs> I, I'm not going there. I said lekker the other day, I think. Uh, Tua uh,
0: Tagovailoa. There you go.
2: That's an excellent job by you. But I, look, Alabama has not had, I mean, who have they had, right? Like they got, they got, they've had one, I mean, one of their quarterbacks is now a broadcaster. Um, the other one, McCarron, right? <laughs> just, signed with Buffalo, but he's not gonna be there very I mean he's not gonna be their guy very long if he is at all. So Saban isn't able to do it without elite quarterback play. I think Rick can do it without elite quarterback play. He just needs a guy who doesn't make mistakes, so they can rely on their athletes, whether it's at the skill positions, okay, or mm-hmm. obviously defensively. So I think sometimes we get too caught up in this. They don't need a Jim Kelly or a Ken Dorsey. And even a Ken Dorsey, we look back at Ken Dorsey, but I mean, he, was, he did not have an elite skill set. He just ran that offense really well, and he had arguably right. the most talented team in college football history around him. So to me, build the rest of it. I think if they can get good quarterback play, they're fine.
1: No, I and look, I, and I completely agree with you. I just want to make this one other point on Malik. Was He lost his number one tight end last year, Chris Herndon. He lost Mark Walton, his number one running back. You know, he lost uh, Amon Richards, so we talked about all those weapons. We'll get, yeah, I mean, look what he was able to do with all of his top weapons out. And from players I spoke to last year after after the season, they said losing Herndon was such a big blow to Malik just because, you know, now Malik was running for his life because he didn't have – if Herndon came down, at, you know, as an H-back and was blocking or something – so you know that that was also part of it and and you're absolutely right you don't need to have that elite guy you just need to get have a guy that can get your playmakers the ball.
0: Yeah, and supporting cast no doubt plays a big role in all of this and that's probably something that we didn't talk about enough last year with Malik Rozier because you mentioned the receiver with, with Richards, that no doubt is huge. If you can have a dynamic player like Richards was as a freshman, fully healthy and fully ready to go, that's a massive difference maker. And then from a running game standpoint, I thought Travis Homer did a credible job of filling in for Mark Walton once Walton got hurt. But I think as you saw as the year went on, particularly with, I think Miami has a poor run-blocking offensive line, as a decent pass protection offensive line, but as a run-blocking offensive line, they created next to nothing. And I think you saw Mark yeah. Walton regularly make something out of nothing. And whereas Travis Homer would do it every once in a while, but didn't do it with the regularity mm-hmm. that Mark Walton did. So I think those two things kind of changing over the course of a year will make a difference. Do you want to come and watch Brock Eisweiler throw interceptions for the
2: Dolphins, we've got an opportunity for you. We're having our first ever five reason sports network watch party. It's for the Dolphins second preseason game. The Dolphins will be up in Carolina We will be at the Texas Roadhouse in Miramar. That's right off of I-75 on Miramar Parkway, convenient to all of South Florida. Our hosts will start getting there around 6.30, 7 o'clock. The game is 7.30, so come hang out with us. There's no charge at the door, nothing like that. We're going to have the back bar. We'll have drink specials, we'll have food specials, we'll have giveaways. You can tell us that we suck in person. Whatever it is that you want to do, Come to the Texas Roadhouse. Again, it's Friday, August
0: 17th, Dolphins' second preseason game. See you there. All right, so so let's move on now to the next thing that we wanted to get to which was relevance, right? I feel like the biggest thing for the University of Miami program that they trade on is being relevant. And la- and last year, mm-hmm. they were nationally relevant. They were featured on College Game Day in the highest rated College Game Day of last regular season. They played two massive primetime games against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. And not just, you know, the primetime that they, u- that they usually get, which is, well, UM-FSU is a big rivalry, so we'll put them there, even though realistically the college football community didn't really want it there. Now you have two huge games with incredible atmospheres, and people are looking at Hard Rock Stadium and going, that's a legitimate college football atmosphere. And for the University of Miami to turn that around, like you said earlier, Mike, with the overhead blim shots of Hard Rock Stadium that used to be sad and it used to you know, have a bunch of empty orange seats, now for it to be a cool and rocking venue to where the new Miami Dolphins tight end, Durham Smith, has said that it was one of the most intimidating atmospheres he's ever played in. It's a massive turnaround for this program. <laughs>
1: it absolutely is and, and you know what happens and you got that atmosphere and you got those wins look where they're starting their season this year right and playing jerry's world uh on a sunday against lsu that's what you want from miami remember back like there's a few years ago where miami and fsu started to open up this season and that was the game to kick off the year you know that labor day game look i mean all you need to know about Miami being back relevant today, today on campus, there's no one but two ESPN reporters here doing stories for the upcoming season. So, yeah, we're still, you know, just a little less than a month away, but even the big networks are doing their prep to get around this Miami team because I think they see, like a lot of their schedules going to have to do with this this year, but they're going to be relevant this year. There's no doubt about it. The coaches think they're going to finish in the top 10. That's why they ranked them eighth uh, in the preseason poll. Uh, ESPN's out here doing stories. You know, they are going to be the the talk of the town, especially down here if the Dolphins don't get their act together, right? So, to me, for me growing up, when the Dolphins weren't great and Miami was the big show in town, the Orange Bowl was the place to be. And those tailgates and Hard Rock Stadium, the way it was last year, uh, the way you had Kirk Herbstreit drooling over the atmosphere on national TV, people only come down here now and watch games.
0: And the other thing, too, is obviously the, uh, the, the turnover chain playing a role. But, Ethan, I feel like I just mentioned uh, nationally, locally, that's the case, if not more. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an
2: extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. to get ten percent off your first month, again, that's BetterHelp H E L P dot slash Miami Heat. Yeah, and to Mike's point, um, it's not just the Dolphins, but it's the fact that the Heat are not where they were uh, four or five years ago either. So, uh, to me, I look at—I always look at this in the context of the town as a whole—and I, I think part of the Heat's emergence had to do with the Dolphins' kind of continued mediocrity. That there was this opportunity for this other team, uh, you know, whether it was with Dwayne and Shaq and then, then obviously it was going to happen with LeBron and Bosch and Wade after that. But, but I do think, as you know, Mike, I mean, you're in the TV business. I used to be in the Mm -hmm. radio and and newspaper business. There's only so many resources that you have, particularly these days, right? Like as all of these outlets are cutting back. And so if a team is good, the resources are going to go there and they're not Mm going to go somewhere else. and, and, we've seen what's happened with the coverage of the Panthers and the Marlins in this town over the past few years. I mean, there were people devoted to the Panthers and the Marlins for years. And, you know, you look at the newspapers in town and none of them are traveling with either of those two teams consistently now. Um, You know, a couple of the papers aren't even covering them. So, uh, to me, you you sort of push those teams to the side, even though I think the Panthers have the chance to be the best pro team, actually, over the next five years, the way that they're set up. But then you look at the town as a whole and – This town has always treated the Hurricanes like a pro team. I mean, they don't have Mm -hmm. the alumni base that, that, say, University of Florida has or FSU has. Um, People are interested in the Canes when they're interesting, uh, in the same way that they're interested in the Heat or the Dolphins when they're interesting. And, I mean, let's be honest. We do a lot of Heat on this podcast, but they did nothing this summer. Uh, We're still waiting on Dwayne. Uh, If they don't get Dwayne back, uh, that's going to be a hard team to sell this year uh, until they make some moves. The dolphins. We just talked about this with the Palm Beach Post guys about the Dolphins. They had one guy in the top 100 on the NFL Network list, Um, and that's Cameron Wake, and he's 36 years old. Now, I I like some of their young players, but those young players, whether it's Fitzpatrick or Gesicki or or McMillan or others, Drake, are probably two to three years away from really being top NFL guys if they get there. So I do think there's a tremendous opportunity for the Hurricanes, Um, and, and we saw a little bit of it last year. And to me, if it builds locally, and guys, you know, like you, Mike, and others in TV and radio are talking about them all the time, it will build nationally. And and so I I do think there's a huge chance for them this season.
1: Yeah, and look and look, the the other thing there is when when you're right, when it builds locally and it starts to get that buzz, and everything. We were walking around here before the Notre Dame game, uh, and you know, just Ed Reed walking around campus. You know, no big deal. Just just walking around, walking by students saying hello, saying what's up, and all of a sudden you get to game day, and you've got Ed Reed and Warren Sapp, and it almost started to look, you know, not like a heat game where you have, like, all the celebrity stars, but it was a sports star-centric event. So now that most important camera, aside from the one playing on the field for ESPN, is the one on the sideline getting these guys, you know, Ed Reed running down the field when Trajan Bandy's, you know, taking that pick six to the house, you know, People love that stuff. And it really, you know, it really captures that old Miami feel how some of those old guys would come back and go to games and be like essentially coaching some of these guys on the sidelines even though they're like in the NFL. And that's such a huge advantage Miami had. And college football fans just eat that stuff up. And that was all part of it. So, you know, when you see those guys coming back and watching the games and really getting into it, it just made the whole experience you know take a step up
0: can i just say and I, I really want to curse i'm not going to but how absolutely freaking incredible it is when you consider that clemson 58 miami zero was less than four years ago it was I, i'm i'm looking at the yeah. day here I, i'm looking at the date here it was october 24 2015 that's less than four years ago and we're talking about miami off a season in which they were, you know, in the college football playoff top two and they're, you know, we're talking about them as uh, as a team with a home atmosphere, with promising facilities, with an upturn towards being a nationally relevant program. Like it really does kind of understate first off, how incompetently coached they've been for more than a decade and that a coach Absolutely. could single-handedly make that difference, but that the program w- always has this potential and that U.M. fans, U.M. boosters, U.M. administration should never forget that this program has the potential to very quickly get back to the very top of college football and the fact that in the space of really it was one year that they were that they were able to recapture a lot of it I'm not going to say all of it because you have to win national championships you have to be in that conversation Uh for the entire season but to recapture the atmosphere in the home stadium to recapture this incredible feeling in the community I think the University of Miami is far and away even considering that I think the Florida Panthers are going to be good next year but obviously University of Miami is much bigger and they just got you know off a much better season. Season, they have a, a, an opportunity to be far and away the biggest team in South Florida this year, and the fact that they were in such doldrums and such lows for a decade before it is kind of incredible. Yeah, and to
1: that Clemson point, isn't that the isn't that the first like real true playing time I think Malik Rozier got at quarterback? Because I think uh, Brad Kye went down with a concussion that game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rozier, Rozier so.
0: went uh, went seven of twenty two for two interceptions. <laughs> right, so
1: that's right, but that's, but that's to your point, that it wasn't like, it, it was like, you know, a two or three year process where they overhauled the entire roster. You had the same guys you who know, were that field moving 58 nothing, coming out and making an ACC title game just a couple of years later.
0: It's really remarkable, and it's really down to one man, and that one man is uh, who we're going to cover next year in part four, and that is Mark Richt. So, Mike, when you look at the job that he's done over the two years that he's been here, What would you say he's done in terms of earning that trust and earning that credibility that every year that he's been here, he's helped Miami take a step? And sort of going forward here, do you imagine that he'll be the man that will take them on their next several steps?
1: I'm not sure if they'll win a title here with Rick. But uh, like we've said, they're on the right trajectory here. The thing I've always said about college football programs, you know you're doing something right, when other teams start poaching your assistants, right? Right. So Mark Rick made emphasis when he came in here that we're going to pay our assistance, right? So FSU last, this past off season, was tried to come get Ron Dugan, his alma mater. They couldn't pull him away. Now they did lose coach Kuligowski, their defensive line coach to Alabama, but we're going to test that. That's the ultimate compliment, isn't it? When a program like Alabama is looking at your coaching staff going, we want what they have, right? So I think that's, kind of the the biggest thing is Miami's really investing in those guys and, and they're trying to take care of even the high school uh area coaches you know you know being there at practices um showing face a lot more being being around some of the you work know, we're going to the youth games you know Mark Rick wants to be a face in this community that 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 coaches trust and, and parents trust is that I want to take my have my kid go to that school because, you know, we know their system. We know the head coach, you know, Mike Rumpf, who is coaching here at Madison Heritage Plantation, one of the top pro- high school programs in the country, is now uh, on staff here. You know, all that will, will carry you so much further uh, than, than people realize. Yeah, to me, this is a, it's the word credibility
2: that you used here, and, and you know you talk about how incompetently coached they were the past few years, and when you had a guy in Al Golden who was coming down here, when you have again some of the best athletes in the country, other than maybe Texas and California, I mean there's really three states that you look at, and those players are used to playing press coverage in college, and then you have them lining up 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I'm excuse me, they're, they're used to playing press coverage in high school. And then you've got them lining up 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage in college. Uh, it just never made any sense at all. And and then look the excuses, everything else that played out there. You know we're you know our goal is to win the coastal. I mean look, it's a good goal. It's not a UM goal, and that was the goal every single year. So what I didn't understand when Richt was hired was why there were some, and not a lot, but there were some who are like, well, this isn't that great a hire because Rick had trouble winning the big game when he was at Georgia. How about getting to a freaking big game first, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, that, I mean, that argument just never made any sense to me because, I, look, yes, okay, he did struggle, okay, up there with some of the powers, particularly Florida. Uh, and, and, you know, Bama and others, okay, in the SEC. Um, but he dominated the teams he was supposed to dominate. He dominated Georgia Tech, okay? And that is, say what you will about Georgia Tech, but they have a unique system, and it's an in-state mm-hmm. school, okay? There's a lot of competition there for recruiting. And and he killed them all the time. And so, look, I, I, to me, he has been positioned. And the thing I like that Rick has done, and part of this is obviously because he played in the program and, and then lived down here for a period of time, but what he's done is that he's brought all of the old stuff back. And I felt like Golden was trying to push all that stuff away because it made him seem yeah. inferior by comparison. And Rick's bringing back the former players. But that's what makes UMUM. M-U-M. And the idea that you would separate yourself from them in any way never made any sense to me. So I just feel like they've got that back on track. You know he's going to be here. For the long term, also, I know he's a little bit up in age compared to some other coaches, but you know he's going to be here. He's not going somewhere else. I just think that's critical for this program also to have that kind of stability. Um, I mean, even with Jimmy Johnson, if you go back, I mean, you knew ultimately Jimmy was going to get another gig, right? Like, and then he ended up getting a great gig, although it didn't seem like it at first with the talent he inherited in Dallas, but he got two championships out of it. So I, I just feel they, they have the absolute right coach. In fact, on five reasons sports this week, You know, I threw it out there. Who's the best coach in South Florida right now? And it's not a great list. Um, It's not it's not the you know, when we had the Riley Jimmy list um, before. But uh, the reason I threw it out there was I was curious if Rick would get anywhere near Spolstra on it, because to me, those Mm -hmm. are really the only two choices. Um, He didn't get that close, but he did pick up some votes from a lot of our, our listeners. So I just think there is confidence in him. Um, And and again, I just feel they're on the right track. They're developing the right assistance. They have the right guy.
0: And even when you look at the basketball program, too, like just the, the, the fact that UM has these figureheads at, you know, at football and basketball level, both men's and women's, like they've done an incredible job hiring and the credibility. And it's the thing we talked about earlier, which is this whole idea that he puts the university under pressure we need to constantly be adding at facility level at donor level at you know and, and just keep going and keep kicking on to really make this a college football program in the modern sense right the, the university of miami got away with having you know terrible locker rooms and a terrible facility and not spending on important things because well we can just always pave over the cracks with talent like you mentioned, Ethan, college football passed Miami in that regard. And they they were able to have the talent plus all the other stuff. And Mark Richt is constantly keeping them in check in that area. But in terms of his actual coaching and the job that he has ahead this season, I'm really interested because I, I feel like the talent that he 's added he 's at when we were talking earlier about tight ends and, and and the tight ends that they brought in that are some of the best in the nation. they brought in a legitimate fullback in realist george to 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 sort of fill out that backfield and Maybe there's a style change on for this program. So in terms of the coaching job that he has on this year, I'm really interested to see how he approaches it because he has a running quarterback. He's going to have a good running game and an offensive line that kind of needs to be protected a little bit in terms of having real long step jobs. they ran in this, you know, uh, RPO a very modern offense last year, Mike, Mike. Do you think they'll go again with that, or do you think that there's real schematic changes on for next year?
1: No, I, I think I think they stick with it because because why? it? Malik, look, we talked about the the accuracy issues, but Malik ran it well. I mean, there's 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 no doubt he wasn't making the the wrong uh, you know decisions a lot of the times. He was he was calling the games pretty well. It was just the whole accuracy issue. But no, but you mentioned a, a guy like Realestorg. Maybe that was that whole thing where. Chris, they missed Chris Herndon as, as, as a blocking tight end at times so now hey you know what to remedy that we'll fix that issue just in case our blocking tight end gets hurt We'll bring in a fullback and I'll kind of you know mitigate some of those problems. So you have to give them credit um, for not you know I, I know a lot of these coaches are kind of stubborn in their ways sometimes I mean Al golden was uh, where, where you talked about it, Ethan where they had these great athletes playing you know a zone defense. And it just didn't work. You got you, you kinda gotta take the personnel, what you have, and then work the sk- the scheme kind of around it, right? That that's just basically how it works down here in Miami with the type of athletes. Um with the type of athletes that you get.
0: This is the Five Reason Sports Network. Sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have ten podcasts in the network posting roughly fifteen times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Miami Heat Beat. I'm in love with this young core. I think they have 3 really solid starter type players in Winslow, J. Rich, and Bam. You know, it's funny. I was literally just thinking that to myself like five minutes ago, but the fact that Gianni agrees with me really makes me second guess it. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number 5 sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's move on to part five now and close this thing out and look at the competition that Miami is facing, both uh, from their rivals and from their conference. So uh, you look at the the, the schedule for this upcoming season, and you kind of realize that, Unless you have Clemson from the Atlantic you know portion of the schedule, there aren't that a, a ton of hugely difficult games away of Virginia Tech is probably the most difficult within the conference LSU on a neutral field out of the conference but when you look overall, obviously Clemson is the big hurdle if you want to go and compete for the national championship because I don 't think the ACC is quite at SEC level where the CFP is going to feel comfortable putting two teams in from the same conference but uh, obviously Clemson being the big hurdle but Mike, when you look at the rest of it with, you know, North Carolina and with FSU and with uh, Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, d- do you think Miami's in a good position to kind of be one of the more dominant forces over the course of the next sort of half decade?
1: Miami's in a good position, for, yes, for with the way they, they've got the recruiting um, going, obviously with the top 10 classes past year. Uh, yes, with the way UNC looks at times, the way Pitt looks at times, you know, obviously Miami lost to Pitt last year, but... In uh, Georgia Tech, I think Miami's got something like four ACC teams on their schedule this this year that finished under 500, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, when you're you're kind of benefiting from your geography in, in the ACC, right, in the Coastal Division. Um, yeah, UNC, Georgia Tech, you're not running into the Louis Holes. You're gonna play play FSU every year, but that's a big game. And sometimes, it, you know what, if that's your one loss and FSU is good, you you kind of get a pass, I and mean, you see that happen in the in the SEC. Uh, when Bama loses to somebody. So, yeah, I think they're set up uh, for at least the next five years to where if they're staying at this level, if they stay at this level, and you know they're going to keep going up, but even if they stay at this level, you're talking about a team that's probably going to win the Coastal.
2: Yeah, I think they're perfectly set up for this. And, and part of it, you know, I look at the other teams in the conference, and you got to give, obviously, Davo a ton of credit for what he's done at Clemson because, I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't that long ago that we did not view them as a national power anymore. And, right. you know, they had been right. years and years ago, and now it's like we just take that one for granted. But, look, FSU is going to take a little bit of time here. Obviously, there's talent on that roster. Uh Jimbo yeah. kind of let it go a little bit the last two years, but you figure they're going to be back in it uh virginia tech but i look at some of the other teams in that conference and i I just don't see the upside that miami has and 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 for me the reason uh, again is this thing that i think rick has brought back which is the mystique of it where i I do think you have kids now who are you know maybe they look they were not alive for when um was dominant okay but they've heard stories and now they see enough of it right and i do think it's crazy but i think the turnover chain has a lot to do with it honestly um (laughs) You know, I, I really too, because I, there was something right like I, it was, it was, you know, even though it was new, it was kind of a flashback to what they used to be right to be mm-hmm. sort of, you know, arrogant and to have something that was theirs that nobody else had. And I think if you're a 16 year old kid and you're seeing that you're like, I want to wear that thing. Right. And maybe look, Manny. maybe Manny Diaz comes up with something else this year. OK, maybe Rick Rick comes up with something else. But the, the fact that they could come up with something. Like, I always feel like when you can identify something with the program, particularly for impressionable teenagers who are deciding sort of where they want to make their mark, that that's a really big thing. So, I thought not only the fact that they had success, and I also, you know, but the fact that they had something that was their own. And I also think that the way last season went was actually the right way. Like, if you're going to be 10 and three, win the first 10 games. Okay, get, get, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. like like get get the attention that comes from that and then okay say all right the last three they ran into a better clemson team you know one of the games uh-huh. you know uh you know Rosier gets pulled uh they they probably should have won that game but you know made some mistakes obviously in the fourth quarter um but the idea again that they were 10 and 0 got them in the conversation if they've gotten to 10 and 3 being i don't know seven and two and then you know and then and then winning three of the, you know, three of their last four. That's a different conversation. Right. So, I, so I just think they're on the right track. And I also think the thing that the end of last season did was it let Rick and the staff know we're not there yet, okay. And and uh-huh. so and the players uh, too. Know, there's, there's no delusions. It. There's no delusions there, and they know. Look, we we thought they probably weren't as good as 10 and 0, even with the Notre Dame win. That um, FSU, you know, it was a great win, but the FSU was down kind of figures that out as the season went on. There were a lot of close wins in there, a lot of sort of late plays that they made. Um, but, they, you know, the fact that it ended up 10-3, and okay, that's about where they belonged, but they had something that was theirs. And so I, I do think they're on the right trajectory. And, again, I look at the rest of the programs in that conference, and with the exception of Virginia Tech and FSU, there's no other team with that kind of history. And I mm-hmm. feel like UM is now ahead of FSU in terms of getting it back.
0: So in in terms of Mike, though, with FSU, the fact that they hire Willie Taggart, obviously Miami fans feel a degree of confidence, but listen, I I was at that game. I I went to Tallahassee for the game that they beat Florida State. They just about did it, and I still feel like, you know, Florida State, obviously, you know, they're they're still going to have six of seven victories in that rivalry, and until Miami pulls off a few in a row, it's going to be something that hangs over the program a little bit. So in terms of heading into that rivalry game, and now with Florida getting Dan Mullen in, I feel like that's a really good hire for them. Uh, there, there is going to be real competition that's going to be coming from the big programs in the state. Not to mention Lane Kiffin at FAU. Not to mention Butch Davis at FIU. Not to mention Charlie Strong at USF. The, 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 the state schools I feel like are, are, are either on the rise or have risen. So th- that's a real competition for recruiting and in, in games, particularly with Florida State.
1: How dare you forget the national champion UCA. I did, didn't Golden I? Oh my goodness! And that. In that whole list, I was waiting for it. Uh, no, no, look, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, you can just talk about UCF, about how competitive the state is. When, when, and even talk about those, like, 2000, 2001 Miami teams. Guess who was really good back then, too? You know, the hitters were rolling with Rex Grossman. FSU was in the national title game against Oklahoma in 2000. You know, yeah, when those three, when these three programs are home and alone, there's really nothing better in college football because then it's basically uh, three weeks out of the year you're getting you're just getting in-state rivalry after in-state rivalry. Um, but no, I, yeah, I mean, I agree. Where, where FSU is at, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Willie Taggart. I thought he closed uh, recruiting at the end of the year really well because it really did seem like Jimbo just kind of shut it down. It was like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to recruit players to FSU. I want them to go to Texas a and so I, I think he kind of did up as you like a giant disservice there um but ethan even back to your point about the turnover chain uh, coaches last year said we didn't want that thing to come out early in the game because if that thing came out early it was just gonna snowball for so miami they were gonna get that momentum and then and then they were just going to give you that big punch in the first half and it was gonna and it was going to take you out of the game.
0: All right, so that just about wraps up our conversation around the UM program. Really looking forward to this upcoming season. I will actually be making the trip to Dallas for, uh, for that, se- that season opener against LSU. Really looking forward to that in this entire Kane season. I feel like they have a real legitimate chance to captivate the Miami sports market over the course of the next few months. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on the Hurricanes program here on the Five Reasons podcast. Again, also check out Five Rings, our new podcast on the University of Miami, hosted by Josh Darrow. They've got some interviews with coaches ahead of the season, including Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator, and Ephraim Banda, their secondaries coach. So appreciate you joining us here on the Five Reasons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And you can also find our podcast on Spotify. And be sure and to rate and review the podcast as well. Thanks for listening.
1: Nosotros somos Cinco Razones Podcast, el primer podcast en español
0: del Network de Five Reasons. Lo que más me gusta y es una de mis cinco razones es I can speak en in inglés. Everything Miami regarding the sports. Junto
1: a Alejandro Villegas y a Leandro Soto, yo soy Ricardo Montes de Oca. Bye, have a great time. Cinco razones, el nuevo podcast aquí con Leandro y Ricardo debatiendo como siempre, llevándonos la contraria. Les va a gustar.
0: Pregúntale a Siri. Siri, would you make...
1: José Ureña, A Closer. Here's
0: what I found.
1: Ah, mira, me, me ¿De da... De, te dio las te estadísticas. Digamos, sí, me da unos lugares que no puedo, no puedo mencionar. <risa> <ahí>. <risa> Enjoy the ride.